Okay, hi everybody. Thank you again so much for tuning in to Comedians Exposed. I'm Deanna Kobe. Uh, this is the podcast where I get to talk to comedians about how performing comedy leaves them feeling vulnerable. And today's guest is co-producer of Corgi Comedy Events. He also produces comedy shows at Pet Shop. He is the mastermind of the hilarious event, Weeding Out the Stone. You can listen to his hilarious album. It was recorded at Helium. Let me teach you how to distill gin. Please welcome the frenetic and hilarious madman, Alex Grubar, to Comedians Exposed. Welcome, Alex. Hello. How you doing? Thanks for having me, Deanna. What's up? Oh my gosh, thank you for being a guest. You guys, we have to welcome Alex. He had an amazing weekend. He, I was just talking with him before we got started about the amount of energy that this man exuded this weekend. If you get a chance when you're in the city at the Asylum Theater once a month, right? Yep. Weeding out the stone. Can you tell me, how did you come up with this idea? So uh, the story is basically, I mean, long story. Uh, not a long story long. Uh, I was living in Philadelphia and there were, were a few comedians that were doing these kind of like high concept shows, talk shows and stuff like that, panel shows. They were doing really well uh, and they were super fun. And then they, I started a show. I was running shows of various kinds, and blah, blah, blah. And one uh, thing I came up with was curses the game show of swears obscenities and censorship because i was kind of thinking we're doing these like comedic comedic theatrical shows so if they're not on television what's a concept that can't be on television like the very premise is something that can't be on tv uh so you know something it'll be something original you know something yeah. people don't see uh, so I thought of this curse word game show. We were doing pretty well. We were getting some, some press. It wasn't like amazing, but it was definitely like we're onto something here. And then there, so this is the scene is that that was my show, but the scene is doing a lot of this type of stuff. So then uh, these two comics, Aaron Nevins and Kate Bamford, they started this festival called Five Dollar Comedy Week. It's 30 brand new shows all for five dollars each. They rented out a theater in town like a 40 seat theater 50 seats and it was a overwhelming success you know these shows were hilarious i mean like 30 obviously some were like over the moon some were like what were we thinking but it was a great attempt super experimental fun comedy uh so they did three of them within a year uh this festival thing this week of comedy shows and you could pitch you just emailed your pitch of a show and so I knew from doing stand-up for longer than most people in town that, uh, you know, submitting to festivals costs like for stand-up costs like $40 if that, you know, or more or whatever, and it costs a lot of money and you probably aren't going to get in because a thousand people submit and, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You, and then at best you get like, you know, five or 10 minutes on mm -hmm. one or two shows, you know, that kind of thing or something like that. So I was like, oh, you can pitch for free, do your whole hour show, and it's like total creative control. You get a percentage of the door. Uh, it was just like, it's in my hometown. <laughs> it was the place I where I lived. So it was just like, I'm going to definitely get one on. So the first time they did it, I only submitted like two or three. 
And then it was free to submit. It's just an email. The second time I submitted like 15 ideas. And so I got one on. And then, and this whole time I'm doing the Curses Game Show also every month. Yeah. And so the third $5 comedy week, I pitched probably 40 ideas. And the one they picked was Weeding Out the Stoned, the game show of sobriety tests. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And it's one of those things where, like, oh. you know, I look back at that email. You know what I mean? Like, I look at that email where I'm like, four comics are stoned, four comics are on stage, they're all stoned except one, and we play pin the tail on the donkey and recite the alphabet backwards. And like, that's essentially what the email was. You saw it on Friday night. (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah. Wow, it's really turned into something because Alex, oh my God, he, there were 16 contestants, 16 people, oh my gosh. And like Alex, like the literally full on game show, he was just like the amount of energy that you exuded. I was just complete in awe of. I was like, oh my goodness! Like you just kept people on the edge of their seat, and it was so fun. <laughs> Thank I you was, so much. Yeah, it was great. I got I got bit in by the balloon. Oh, I <laughs> I know that was funny. I thought you were doing well with that balloon too. I thought you, couple of you guys had like their balloon at like the, at peak, uh, you know, inflation. Yeah. Uh, just for a while. It. There's techniques. Yeah, yeah. yeah I should have stretched, but I was just like thinking, like, how again do you like come up with the games and you know, like, okay, this is because again, having 16 comics and all those rounds and like, again, like, do you do the same games? Do you like to change games? Cause initially compared to where you started, how did you end up to here? So definitely a lot of like riffing with people on like what games might be fun. Uh, Aaron Evans, who was one of the people that ran that theater was extremely uh, influential and helpful on weeding out the stone specifically. Uh, he was co-producing curses. So like also to fi- kind of finish that story, just at you know, once weeding out the stone was a hit, we did 24 people on stage that first time, like 24 contestants. And uh, we, it was just like a crazy big hit. It sold out super early. Um, and we already had this game show time slot. So then we're instantly doing weeding out the stone monthly uh, right after that $5 comedy week festival. And we were selling 150 tickets at $5 each uh, instantly, you know, or like over hundred tickets. And then we did 420 bumped up the ticket price still sold out. It was like, you know, uh, cause we were in like an, a mausoleum that had been turned into an art gallery. And it's so like, I did a lot of comedy there and, you know, you'd perform for 20 people and it would be fun. Like it would be a good room for it, but they could fit 150. They had a balcony. Uh, there's Philomoka. Uh, they're still around. It's uh, yeah. And like, but then good, good comedy theater opened. And so that's who we were associated with. They're very influential. It was, it was a great theater. I mean, it was the best time of ever, you know, it was like three years that unfortunately they've closed since the pandemic, but uh, three years of just like, in my opinion, magic, you mm-hmm. know, I like comedy gold. I loved it. It was, so we did probably. Wait, what's the magic though? What is the magic? Like, oh like, man, comedy well, magic. What is it like? Just like the little things, you know. I mean, I get romantic about stand up a lot, so and like venues and things. So, there's like things like that where you know, it, just a lot of times where 
they would do three shows a night and we were a Friday night show. I would be driving down from New Jersey at the time. I mean, that first year it was open, I was walking there for, you know, I lived five minutes away. And then, so that's magical. You're going to this place you love and you live right there. I lived there longer than they did, you know, like it moved, it was my favorite place and it moved to my neighborhood and like all those kinds of things. Like you'd be there and there'd be th people from New York that I hadn't seen in years doing the second show. And you're like, somebody canceled on weeding. Do you want to jump on? You know, like uh, just that kind of like magic. Like when you're at uh, uh, an art gallery, you're the only thing that night or you're at a different type of theater that you're renting out. It's just not as much of a hangout. It's not as comfortable and familiar. You feel really comfortable there. I mean, Good Good Comedy Theater was built by comedians. Like yeah. I, I hammered in nails on that stage, not to mention a bunch of other stuff, you know? The yeah. contractor was a comic, the plumber, you know? Uh, I mean, So how much of comedy then for you is creating a sense of community? I definitely like comedy scenes. I guess I start, I feel like that's what comedy is a little bit. Not obviously it's not all of it. You could be, you know, not in a scene at all and still obviously be a comedian. Uh, but like to me, comedy scenes, you know, and I like music scenes, you know, they're the, that's, I think the thing that is much more of like a legacy or I'm at least kind of interested in sometimes like, you know, you have, you're a fan of this. Let's say you're a big fan of, you know, Joey Ramone, you know, and the Ramones. I love the Ramones, but like the New York late seventies punk scene is a thing. And like, like I was talking about with good, good comedy theater, it was three years. Yeah. Just like a lot of big, interesting communities can be a short flash in the pan. And you're just like, I mean, but I get what you're saying now, like with the magic, exactly. It's like that perfect moment of space and time that's happening and it's just like you know and it's just like yeah fireworks yeah. are created yeah and i loved the philly comedy scene in general i thought good good was a good piece of it it wasn't that's where you started comedy right in philly uh not exactly i actually started in new york oh okay okay yeah i like dropped out of college and i moved to new york moved in with my dad and i got a bar backing job at i started doing mics i got a bar backing job at new york comedy club and I was bar backing there Wednesdays and Thursdays for stage time. You know, you maybe make, you make 50 bucks or whatever too. Hmm. And then, uh, and you know, you're meeting comics, you're hanging out in the grungy New York comedy club world. I was 18, you know? And so like, I love those grungy venues, you know, I, if New York comedy club has a rat problem today, I know where to put the traps, you know, <laughs> like, uh, and so, and like my line about that is that like, I was the only person bar backing at New York comedy club for stage time where English was my first language. And I just didn't understand at the time that there might be a better way to enter show business for a Jew from New York. You know what I mean? Like I just didn't get that. Like you can just like enter the top kind of like, I, I don't know. You don't have to start at the very below the bottom, <laughs> you know? Uh, but I mean, I early on was like, I'm going to end up hitting every rung on the, way up on this thing I'm, I'm not skipping any steps but like that's what like you think about like how ceos kind of like they that they're good at their job what they've done every job within their company so thinking yeah, about that. that you know like in terms of learning like you know every level and especially too like you said yourself you like left college so i think there's like a level of humility that you went in with um which I, I don't know if that 
helps comics or hurts comics? Like, what do you think? Do you think in comedy it's better to have more of an ego and confidence or be more humble and less of an ego? I mean, I mean, what's better? Uh, one that you would think is better or like how you've operated like through your journey? Well, I mean, pretty much uh, like how I operate, it may not be the way that I think is the best thing. I mean, this, you know, at the end of the day, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Like I think, you know, hustle and grind can be important for a while. Thinking big picture, being egotistical. These are super helpful. But like at the end of the day, like if you're asking for stuff, like you're going to get it more than people that don't ask for anything. You know what I mean? And like, that's what comedy is a little bit. It's like snowballing. It's a perception thing, you know, cause like, really at the end of the day it's like are you doing well on stage do people think you're bookable and capable and are you satisfied with your product so it's like that's really the focus but there's obviously so much more that goes into it and so getting booked is kind of like a perception thing and like whether it's by you know a fellow comic or like a huge producer or a comedy club or anything like that i mean if they think you're worth booking and of value, then they'll book you. And so, you know, you could be humble, you could be egotistical, but like, if you're humble and asking for stuff and you're egotistical and asking for stuff, I think that that's really the answer. It's like, you do have to put yourself out there. Yeah. I feel like doing comedy, it's gotta be like both, you know what I mean? Like inside mm-hmm. that's why I understand where you're coming from, because again, you think about it's so one day it'll be good. The next day it'll be horrible. So it's like very humbling, just like just the act of getting on stage, but you have to have a level of confidence to be able to get on the stage, you know, like, especially after you get your ass handed to you. So what about for you? Like when you started comedy, what was your first bomb? Like, Oh, I mean, I was bombing probably regularly because I was going, uh, at like the end of a three hour show of professionals and I was not a professional, you know? So, I mean, you're going up in front of, you know, two or three people after working a shift, you know, and like hanging out, you know, I mean, I'm an 18 year old, like drinking a bar's liquor in the basement, you know, or beers or whatever, you know what I mean? Like not that I was shit faced, but like, I was learning how to be an, a, an 18 year old. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the way you were getting away with something or like underage drinking, even though nobody gives a shit because it's a grudgy place or whatever, you know, and like totally out of sight, out of mind anyway. Uh, and I wasn't like overdoing it, you know, like doing shots in the basement or whatever. Uh, but the, you know, like. No, it's a big deal though. Like when you're 18, and yeah. especially like, again, like I feel yeah, drinking in the city at 18 with comics. It's like, that shit is cool as fuck. You know what I mean? Like when you're 18, you know, and you're like, oh man, you're in it. You're like in this scene. So what were some of the stuff you talked about? I talked a lot about dropping out of college. Uh Uh, Yeah, a lot about that, a lot about underage drinking. I had a lot, like before I turned 21, I had like a huge chunk on that. Uh And then like, uh, so that was like year one. And then like year two, I kind of, uh, uh, oh, I started like, barking and taking tickets at uh and doing a bunch of other jobs at broadway comedy club it was the new york improv and then that year i was there they became broadway comedy club like while i was hanging out working there and we would do a lot of shows that was like you know i was hitting some open mics but i was still underage so i was just finding myself in the city you know and that kind of thing too 
And then I was like doing shows like seven days a week at Broadway. Uh, but you know, you're working for that time. And then, uh, but you're me, you get to see like Jim Gaffigan and Todd Berry and a bunch of headliners and you get to like hang out with them. You know, they've got three showrooms. So there's like a ton of activity. It was great. And then, uh, and again, you find a crew. Like that's where I really like found my friends in comedy. Like my first real good friends, close friends and like yeah. partying all the time. I wind up like living with some of them, you know, in various apartments. So I like moved to Brooklyn, discovered alt comedy, turned 21. And like right around that time is when I started like doing bar shows and mics at these like alt venues, alt comedy venues, the Creek in the Cave, Mo Pickens, you know, we were yeah. like Rafifis all the time. Uh, oh. UCB, you know, that kind of thing. What got you into comedy then? Because you said you like, did you leave school? Be, like you left college because you wanted to do comedy or what? Oh, yeah. I like not should have or whatever, but like there was a like time when I was 16 that I was looking up open mics and comedy club. I didn't know about open mics, but uh, I was looking up comedy clubs in Boston with the intention of going and then got shied away just because I uh knew it was like 21 plus mm -hmm. and I was like definitely not you know like thinking back you're like oh I mean my friends would have also loved to go see comedy in Boston we would have loved to go to the comedy connection in Faneuil Hall but you know we like didn't feel like what we were doing we were going to like Newberry comics you know we weren't like going to comedy <laughs> clubs we were going to like look at like buy CDs and stuff. And so I got into comedy just from watching Comedy Central. But what stuff. did you like on Comedy Central? Like what was your Oh, like uh I mean I would just watch everything. I mean everything? I just that was on. Yeah, yeah, I mean everything that was on. You know, I still love watching old stuff like that, you know. So they did like comic uh they had premium blend, they had Comedy Central Presents, uh they had you know it's like comic remix or like Friday night stand up. They played like old clips and then <clears throat> Excuse me, I was a Seinfeld fan. Yeah. You know, and I had seen stand up live. I had been two places when I was under 16. I went to, I had seen it basically like two or three times. I like yeah. saw a guy at a hotel in the Catskills because the Concord Hotel was closing and my dad worked there yeah. as a teenager. So he was like, we're going. And so there was a comic, Catskills comic. It was a prop act. I was like 11. Yeah. So, I mean, I loved it. And then, uh, you know, to me, Jerry Seinfeld was like the only comedian in the world other than like people on Comedy Central. And then this guy's like right in front of me. And then I went home and watched Comedy Central and he was on Make Me Laugh. That same guy. Yeah. Like blew my mind. You know, I mean, this guy, not great, but I mean, it was just, I was a kid, little kid. Yeah. And then. Uh, so it was just something that you felt inside you for. Yeah, like we were into it. My dad loved George Carlin. Like we watched a lot of Carlin, you know, yeah. and uh, together. Yeah, like Carlin died when I was probably, yeah, like 20 or 21. So, I mean, I watched probably, you know, 15 years of Carlin with my dad. Yeah. You no, know, I mean, yeah, George Carlin was, I mean, like if you think about it, he was Mr. Conductor even when I was watching Thomas the Tank Engine. Like I've known who George Carlin is for a, like that face for a very long time. And then he's the best, you know, he's amazing. You know, yeah. you know, he puts out a ton of material. My dad likes him, you know? And so, so your then- dad, your dad a funny guy too? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my, everybody yeah. in my family's funny. Yeah, yeah your whole family. <laughs> yeah, they're funny. 
Does I everybody does anybody else perform as well? No, uh, not like in my immediate family. Yeah. No. But so you though, again, so you like that's something you have like to share. Do you feel like George Carlin influenced how you do comedy? Mm, I don't know about how I do it. I mean, I guess everybody kind of, but I mean the people that I probably get most of my initial influence on stage i mean you know you evolve so like right when i was starting out i was uh really into mitch hedberg but i like didn't know how to write one-liners and so i felt like i wasn't like that on stage but eventually my act did become a lot of one-liners because i'm impressed with them you know and so i was almost subconsciously plus you're in New York. So everybody's like shorten your setup, shorten your setup, shorten your setups. And so that's what you do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there are a lot of auditions where like, that's the obvious thing you're going to hear. Everybody knows you're going to hear that from the comic strip or something. And so I was, you know, that was an obsession a little bit yeah. for a while. And then I, yeah, right. So I was, uh, you know, and then I also went to see a show at the Hollywood improv and I can tell you almost everybody that was on that lineup. It was like Harlan Williams, Greg Barrett, Scott Kennedy, who's passed away, uh, two other uh, comics who I like remember some of their act, but I don't know their name. But it was like, you know, again, not Hollywood improv. So it's like you're in a real comedy club. You're in Hollywood. Yeah. It was like a Wednesday. It's half full. I'm 13 years old. It was like, again, that magic. You know, because you're somewhere you're not so supposed to be and you're laughing, you know, at like dick jokes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's uh, uh, and so, yeah, though my family was like, it's funny because like my nephew has now been to some stand up shows or some some comedy shows. But I feel like he's actually never been to a stand up show of mine. And he is like he's 18 and like I was going to see stand up you know, at 11 and 13 and et cetera, et cetera. I started at 18, you know? So, yeah. I mean, so it's kind of like that, you know? You think it's changed, like, especially because you said, you talked about- oh, it's just my dad is like uh, willing to just be like, hey, who gives a fuck? Yeah. Let's put the fucking 11-year-old at a comedy club. That's oh, what okay. my dad is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's who my dad is, right? He's a funny guy. <laughs> I feel like the, like, parenting has sh- maybe might've shifted though, compared, because like, again, your dad, like then, like, let's do it. Like, it's okay. And, you know, that could be unique to your dad. But also you had mentioned- um, um, Seinfeld too you grew up watching Seinfeld and it's like I, I think too from what I've read I don't know how well Seinfeld the show has aged like in the current climate so it's it's so interesting like you know you grew up with your dad having this huge influence on you and then it's like you know what I mean all of that does that um, play out in your comedy again like all of this like how do you describe your comedy and what you're uh, doing on stage I mean, I feel like I'm always trying to evolve. So like what I do, like, I feel like I, you know, write a set list and I, I'm always writing, but I write like short kind of bits, I'd say. Uh, what do you write about? Well, I write, uh, you know, I try and write about like what I'm feeling or current events, but like, you know, kind of like I'll, I'll sit down and be like, the first joke might be a broad joke about like the internet and then I just kind of like start going down that until I'm kind of onto a new subject a little bit but I'll like write 
one-liners, not one-liners, but like very set up punch kind of things. And like, I'll try and throw tag, write tags. But, you know, like I said, I kind of do feel like I have this joke style of being like set up punch tag, set up punch tag. But I also do a lot of catchphrases, what I call catchphrases, yeah. that are more like bomb lines. Do you guys get me? Do you want me to tell it again? Things like that, uh, that are kind of in a one-liner-y category. I call them catchphrases, but, you know, uh, they're kind of these things that can be said at any moment. So a lot of my standup is, you know, I have generally in my head the set list. Uh-huh. And then I call a lot of audibles. So I'm riffing, I'm grabbing other jokes from the bank, you know, in my head, I'm, I'm doing that a lot. So yeah. I'm going, I have the set list written down and then every single set I get off stage and I cross off the stuff that I didn't do and I add the stuff that I did end up doing. And it'll usually be like, I missed half of the stuff and missed is not the right word. This is just how I do comedy. Yeah. You know, uh, it's it's fine. But I do often get off stage and I'm like, I wish I did that joke, you know, but, you know, that's just how it is. I'm in yeah. the moment. I'm fast. And like, you know, sometimes I have trouble slowing it down for the crowd. Uh, what I, have I a love lot of about you. I love your energy. Like and that's one of the things yeah. like people I'm energetic. I'm trying to like not hold that back anymore. I always kind of grew up thinking that was a very LA style of comedy. And I don't mean that really that positively. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of was like, but there's nothing wrong with energy. There really is nothing wrong with it. It's just like only relying on stuff like that and not having a joke or like a oh. thought along with it. it and so like, I feel like Robin Williams, like you think but, about how he would just, and you know what I mean? Like that's kind of like, you know, something like, and I'm not saying your humor, like you're like him, but like, it's like that vein I see with you. It's like, you are very engaged. You're very energetic. And you like, again, the riffing, like how you'll just kind of like, that's what, you know, someone will shout something out and you're just like, you know, there's a level of presence that you exude. And like I said, just to ride that wave of energy, it's like, okay, what's going to happen, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've been trying to do that more. And like I've, people keep saying like madman, you know, oh, these I somebody said the other day, like Alex is the only comic I'm scared of for like at a mic oh. or something as like an introduction and stuff. And, uh, you know, I feel like I've just been doing that lately, you know, yeah. like it's always been in me. But, you know, uh, and like that is a thing I like about your character, you know what I mean, on stage, like uh, no matter what your yeah. character on stage is obviously going to have some differences than your offstage character. Odds are they're going to share a lot of similarities as well. <laughs> but uh, that's like one of those things I've been trying to do more. You know, I put out my stand-up album and it's kind of that first act. It's my first act. You know, it's the act I was doing and there's not a ton of riffing and there's not a ton of, you know, energy. I feel like I, you know, when I'm headlining, I can be at like an alt show, which is usually when I headline. Uh, those are I'm a little more, you know, yeah, high energy, no stakes and stuff like that uh, or low stakes. And then at a comedy club, I tend to feel like uh, I'm supposed to be a comedy club comedian, you know, a club comic. And like I can do that, too. Yeah. But it's not really how I headline, you know? So uh, it is, like, nice to have been, like, okay, the club act is out there. I don't even, like, need to 
you know, I'm not headlining full weekends of comedy clubs. You know what I mean? Like I, I headline like fun one nighters that I like doing, but uh, that's also like kind of what I am is like that sort of act. I feel like, so I can thrive in that, like, you know, younger rock venue or like bar venue uh, situation. Even, even if there's a cover charge, you know, I don't mean like some free bar show or whatever, but I can, you know, be big. I feel like in those kind of alt venues yeah. and like high energy and like very in the moment. Uh, but I, you know, I think everybody kind of is layered, you know. How much of your comedy is actually you? Like I've talked with people, they say, oh, it's me turned up. Like, yeah. so how much is it? Like, are we getting Alex, authentic Alex? Or is this, again, a character of you? I'd say it's a little bit of a character when I'm on stage, you know, I mean, I'm not doing anything. I'm not like, you know, other than like a joke, a punchline, a twist, a misdirection. I'm not like lying about things. You know, I would never say, I don't even know what I was in the military or something, something that just wasn't true to my existence, you know, uh, in my time on this earth, but at least in the beginning. And I feel like most comics are like that. Your setup is the true thing. And the punchline is the fake thing. That's the character. Uh, and so, yeah, I think like my character on stage is maybe a little more who I was when I was younger, a teenager. I was a little like out there and, you know, not uh, shocking in a way of saying like wrong things all the time necessarily, but like just physical and like up in people's face and like, you know, boundless yeah. energy. And that's how I was as a kid. People, you know, my friends, <laughs> so people seem to enjoy it. So, I mean, that is kind of when I started thinking about doing comedy was yeah. watching a ton of comedy. Uh, you know, I already knew about it when I was younger, but like, that's when I started doing it. And so, uh, so you weren't clean though. Like again, most of your, cause no. you know what I mean? So I feel like, um, do you think, Again, growing up watching Comedy Central and just seeing what it was to make people laugh. Um, working clean, there's a power to working clean because I feel like you have the ability to reach a wider variety of people. Right, like, yeah. How come, <laughs> why do you, what motivates you to work clean? So, I mean, like much more just like I wanted to be a comic, I wanted to work, uh, you know, and it's just like when I started, people were very, talkative about how you could get more work if you worked clean uh i also uh but that wasn't even the thing really like if i was i like dirty comedy i got nothing against it you know what i mean like i was doing some dirty comedy and i had a good friend she was also my roommate and she was basically and she was a stand-up and she once pulled me aside and was like you're adorable you can't be you know you, if you're talking about whatever the bit was something about you know just something about some dirty joke about cunnilingus or something but it was like an 18 19 year old trying to come up with some like disgusting fucking joke uh and she basically was like i'm sure it wasn't even a joke at that point you know it was just me trying to figure something out huh. and she was like you're you can't you're not gonna get away with this you know what i mean like like comics can get away with it and you will maybe one day be able to but like you you walk up on stage and everyone here nobody's your age everyone's 30 or 40 or older and they want to they want you to be adorable they want don't want to be like this 18 year old is like fucking chicks uh and is gross about it you know what i mean and that was just like one of those things she didn't like 
it wasn't a long conversation. Yeah. I got what she meant immediately. Exactly. How how do you get, like, how does the audience perceive you? Right. And that's totally who I was and am. I'm not gross. I'm not like one of these guys that like, you know, woman walks by and I'm elbowing every guy next to me. And, you know, I'm, I'm just not that person. And uh, it would be weird and disingenuous and like not even funny to me really to like all of a sudden be thinking like that all the time and go up on stage and be doing it. I mean, if I think I have dirty jokes, you know, if I have a dirty joke that makes sense to me, I'll do it. Usually it would have, will have been a true story, (laughs) you know, like uh, basically every time, you know, at least based in truth. Right. And just to like, get you out. Like I've been booked on dirty shows and like, you know, you just, break out a few dirty jokes or if you're on a late night show i mean they come in handy just like any just like bomb lines and crowd work and all of the tools and resources that we comedians use you know uh so i found it like good to be just like versatile and being clean is there any stuff though that you write that makes you uncomfortable to write about or uncomfortable to write about is just like it's just not my sense of humor I'd say like, I'll write a joke about abortion, but it's usually not like, you know, this woman gets too many abortions. Like even the very idea of saying it is like absurd to me that I don't even think I get through this stuff. But I used to have a joke that was like abortion or as I call it, the war on teenage pregnancy. And, you know, and it's like, to me, that's a political joke. You know, it was about the war on terror a little bit. You know, it was an old joke. Uh, But it was like, that was a thing I did. And it's not like, doesn't make me uncomfortable. I mean, I tend to, you know, it's like if I thought like that a lot, I would maybe have more jokes in that category or another category. But it doesn't make me uncomfortable to talk about necessarily. Sometimes I think, you know, I, I think, Personally, I just don't think that way necessarily. Like if when I'm sitting down to write, Mm -hmm. I'll maybe think of a controversial topic and try and come up with something about it. But it, I feel like it should be in my wheelhouse. Like if I'm writing about a controversial subject, well, then I should have something to say about it and not just something vile, you know, or whatever. Cause you can get away and be funny being shocking. Yes. Of course. Or whatever, making a good joke about something controversial at even, you know, whatever you can use. Uh, I tend to do a lot of wordplay. I mean, you could probably do wordplay and be controversial. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But you know, uh, it's just not, usually where I go I don't know I mean I'm I feel like I'm over analyzing this stuff well that's the whole point of the podcast. I know I know I'm like everything so it's great yeah what I do sit down comedy for you like because I always find a struggle for myself like okay clean comedy like what definitively is clean comedy it's like is it content is it you know again use of language is because like you think about too with the pixar movies how so many jokes the kids whoop, right over their head but the adults are like oh my goodness like we get it right. you know so like yeah. we're clean right yeah i'd say like you know in my opinion but i don't work for standards standards and practices i don't work for you know the fcc so like my opinion of what clean means to most people in my worldview like when I'm doing gigs, they don't want to hear curse words. 
You know, they might not want to hear sex jokes, but usually they do. <laughs> you know, in fact, I'd say most you could even argue that easily. I'd say the most things and uh, uh, notes that people give you about like I'd like all these comedians to work a certain type of clean is no politics. So you could argue that R-rated everything is on the table. The only thing is that would be dirty. But really, when we say clean and dirty, we obviously mean sex jokes. This is these are phrases from the 50s. You know what I mean? I mean, like real realistically, that is oh what we're talking gosh, about. Weird. Right? I mean, like that's oh, what yeah. we're talking about. So to say somebody works clean, I think is pretty easily just like they're not cursing and they're not doing sex jokes. Yeah. Sex jokes fucking work. Everybody closes on them. I love, you know, of course they're great. You know, <laughs> you know, like this, it's comedy. I think nothing's off limits. You know, there are some yeah. things where I'm like, that was a bad joke. That was distasteful. That was tactless. It didn't work the room. One of the but- questions I was going to ask you though, is what's universally funny. And it's like, you know, you're talking about, yeah, sex jokes. Again, I feel like that's something universally funny for people. Yeah. Un- but, un- yeah it goes, it's not necessarily in that realm of particularly clean or not. Like, again, because, it could be clean too, because again, like thinking about Yeah, certainly. Yeah, just like little things like mannerisms, use of your body, use of your eyes, you know, to convey right. that message. So it's just like that's why I find it's like really hard, like this idea of like, oh well, clean and politics too. Like you touched on no that politics, you know, you, so you don't I'm assuming you don't go political in your comedy. I will do what the venue asks. So if they say nothing then I'm going to do whatever I want. Yeah. And most of what I want is absurdist comedy. I like, I tend to do and often prefer uh, in myself when I'm all over the place absurdist and it's like, can you even follow my logic? I'm, I'm so baked and insane and mad, mad up here that like following my insane logic is like, the best case scenario, it wraps around and there is some truth. And you're like, the crazy person's right. That's kind of what I'm <laughs> looking for. Uh-oh. Right. And so yeah. if, but I'm a pro, I like to think of myself as a pro. So if you're like, Hey, no dick jokes, I'm not going to do any dick jokes. If you were like, no college jokes, I would be like, all right, I'll do it. But you know, I do, you know, uh, if I have to do a long set, I'm doing 20 minutes of having dropped out and gone back to college. Cause it was a big part of my life. Uh-huh. And it's a big part of my act. I mean, I'm st- rebuilding a new act, but you know, I just recorded, you know, my act like, you know, six months ago almost. So, I mean, I can do, you know, I think I've, I can do like 20 or I can do longer probably if the crowd is like my kind of crowd. Yeah. But if people are asking me like no politics, no sex, keep it clean. Like, yeah, I'm doing old jokes. Cause I'm going to, this is my club act, you yeah. know, this is, or whatever I consider it. You know, so I would say like currently, if I had to do 45 minutes, I would prefer no notes because <laughs> yeah. I, I don't have that much material. But if I have 20 and they're like, don't do anything you did last time, you know, I could probably and, and they gave other notes. I could probably do it. But people don't give you all of these kinds of notes. Usually they got one or two. Yeah, you know? that's helpful, though. Like, again, like that you have that because, again, like it's feedback it's valuable and just really looking at the practicality of doing comedy right. you know because it's so it's layered it's like and that's what I love about it like again it's like we're touching on social 
values we're like touching on again complex relationships influences so what about for you then what is your hope for comedy like what are you ultimately looking for what do you what's your journey like where's your next step uh i mean i'm hoping to get into some like new york clubs that's like a thing that i'd love to do uh i just want weeding to be like growing um you know, the, uh, we got the New York show. It's phenomenal. It's it is growing. Uh, I have dates coming up in other cities, so I kind of hope to have some other weedings out there uh, going monthly, maybe next year or something. You know, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm kind of looking to kind of grow weeding. Obviously, I'm building another act. Uh, one thing I'd kind of like to do maybe is like record another they maybe like one of these like YouTube specials that people are doing. Right. I mean, I wouldn't be the first person, but like we were talking about like physicality, like club act versus alt act. I think like, since I put out like an audio club act, I think it would be great to just have something out there that was much more like visual of me mm -hmm. headlining. So I think I'm, that's like a goal, a project that I'd like to do uh at some point but i'm still building that act like what it would theoretically look like you know so we'll see i mean those are kind of things obviously there's other you know fame and fortune no i'm just kidding but, uh, uh oh you shouldn't though like kids. oh I'm, yeah, I, I'm really excited for your journey because like i said alex it's just it's a joy to watch you and like i love how versatile you are and i love the story you know and all I'm just going to say, you know, I called Julie. I love that. Like, that whole uh, thing, like it's so layered. And so, and like, again, that's just going back to this again. I, I hope you take it as a compliment, this madman description where it's just like, because again, you do, you circle back and it makes sense, but it's like, you've got to be engaged in it. Can you actually share with everybody where they, because I know you have a bunch of dates coming up and where they yeah. can find you on social media. Yeah, I'm at Alex Grubard on almost everything uh you know at a it's l-e-x-g-r-u-b-a-r-d uh on instagram twitter facebook at weeding stoned on twitter at weeding out the stoned on instagram uh live dot weeding out the stone dot com for all our upcoming dates we're on bands in town i mean we've got some videos out there too uh yeah but uh and my website is alexgrubard.com uh, tumblr.com and yeah my web my dates are up there i'll be when does this come out sorry um i can put it out this week for you because like again i knew you have shows coming up um yeah well, that's fine i mean i'll be in uh portland made <coughs> this thursday at laugh shack uh i'll be at the hideout in boston the next night the 23rd uh yeah july 23rd then i've got uh yeah i've got Sorry, I'm trying. Oh, I'll be at John and Peter's Friday, July 30th. Uh, then I've got Corky Comedy Club in Jersey City, August 13th. Um, Crockpot Comedy at Pet Shop in Jersey City, August 19th. And the next Weeding Out the Stone in New York is at Asylum NYC on Friday, August 27th. And then we've got uh, Weeding Out the Stone at Helium Comedy Club in Philadelphia on September 2nd. And then I've got other dates coming up. More Weeding Out the Stone dates are going to be announced soon. Hopefully uh, Denver, New Hampshire, Boston, and maybe some more. So, yeah, definitely 
check all that stuff out. Yes, awesome. Oh my gosh, well, everybody will have ample opportunity to see you, which is outstanding. I want to thank you so much for sitting down to talk with me today. Thank you so much. That was fun. I love talking shop, you know? Yeah, I, I learned so much. I loved Again, I love speaking with all my fellow comedians. You guys are so knowledgeable. And Alex, like I said, I adore you. I think you're such a great comedian. And everybody, make sure you listen to his album. Let me teach you how to distill gin. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, thanks again, Alex. <laughs> Thank you, Diana. Yeah, much appreciated. A pleasure. <laughs>